How has APSA utilized you know, emerging technologies to make the trade distribution process smoother for everyone involved? The impact that that has had on our strategy, it's allowed us to be bold and flexible in how we service our clients. Capital optimization, focus on ROE, globalization and servicing the business chain, transparent data, strong legal framework and risk mitigation, among other factors, were responsible for this spark. I'm Brian Kana, Assistant Editor at Trade Finance Global. I am Ola Dakpo Adeigbe. I'm the Head of FI Trade Sales for Africa, covering presence and non-presence markets. I'm Wittimelo Toka, Pan-Africa Trade and Working Capital Head of Distribution and Syndication Product at EPSA. Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, your go-to trade, treasury and payments podcast, brought to you by TFG. Hello, and welcome to Trade Finance Talks. My name is Brian Kanup, Assistant Editor at Trade Finance Global. The $2.5 trillion trade gap is the elephant in the room for the trade finance industry. TFG surveyed 20 trade finance experts to start the year, and every single expert predicted that the trade finance gap would slightly or significantly grow in 2024. Part of the reasoning is because general economic conditions will lead to a decline in liquidity and economic growth, which will decrease access to capital. But other factors, including the implementation of new capital constraints such as Basel 3.1, would also be a factor. As the world of international trade finance adapts to the changing macroeconomic environment and the idea of an ever-increasing trade finance gap, there has been a clear shift to the originate-to-distribute model. To help us break down this topic, I'm happy to introduce Boitamelo Toka and Dapo Adepe from APSA. Everyone, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Thanks very much, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Great. And to start off, please introduce yourselves. Who are you? What is your background? My name is Ola Dakbo Adeigbe. I am currently APSA's head of FI Trade Sales for Africa, looking at trade finance portfolio for the APSA group from a presence market and non-presence market perspective. My background is in finance and corporate banking. I'm very happy to be on this podcast. My name is Butumelo Toka. I look after the Pan-Africa Trade and Working Capital Distribution and Syndication Product Portfolio at APSA. My background is treasury, finance, and obviously now trade and working capital. Great. Thank you guys very much. So Dapo, I'll start with you. I mean, there's been a very noticeable shift in the past year by banks toward an originate to distribute model. Can you walk us through you know, what was the spark that led to this shift in strategy? Thank you very much for that question. I would like to address this question from two different perspectives. What were the motivation for banks to do what they were doing pre-distribution and what has actually led to the spark in distribution? Banks were initially focusing on originate to keep with a particular emphasis on balance sheet and top line growth. Globalization created one market, bigger market, and more opportunity to expand beyond the own market of banks. So there's this desire to increase market share. So there's a focus on market share growth. Trade finance asset class is a low default instrument, which looks very good on the balance sheet and hence a preferred product type. This is one of the reasons why banks decide to hold to maturity the particular asset class. However, Basel assisted us to understand that there is need for banks to focus on optimal capital utilization and also return on equity or tangible equity. Therefore, the Basel recommendations, some were adopted by major central banks across the world, and it then makes it imperative for banks to adopt it in their business dealings. Footprint stroke market touch points is a business imperative. There's a greater requirement for banks 
to then support their clients across the globe and also across their supply chain. So bank continue to look at how do we originate deals servicing our client, hence not increasing our capital commitment to the product type. We have seen increased interest from existing investors and new investors looking at trade risk as a class and looking at it as a means to diversify their portfolio. The new investors like non-bank financial institutions, insurers, export credit agency, and in some instances, fintech, see it as an opportunity in diversification of their portfolio. There's also the availability and dependability of transparent data, which has then created a room to mitigate risk that we see in trade finance, risk around commercial contracts, currency risk, and country risk. The clarity that this has brought in has introduced more investors to trade as an asset class and to distribution as an option. There is now an established law and support that was created by BAFT through MRPA. So there is a legal document that guides the operation and relationship of the buyer and the seller in a distribution engagement. Hence, it makes it easier for investors to commit capital to grow their distribution portfolio. I would like to summarize by saying that capital optimization, focus on ROE, globalization and servicing the business chain, transparent data, strong legal framework and risk mitigation, among other factors, were responsible for the spark that led to the growth in distribution. Thank you. Thank you for that. And Boitamelo, I'm going to ask you then to kind of follow up a bit on what Dapo was talking about, and he was he mentioning a bit of Apps' strategy. So can you talk about what impact has no trade finance distribution had on Apps' risk strategy and overall liquidity profile? Thanks for that question, Brian. From a distribution perspective, right, the impact that that has had on our strategy, it's allowed us to be bold and flexible in how we service our clients. It's helped alleviate uh, both internal and external constraints imposed by factors such as a tightening regulatory framework, unknown markets, scarcity in foreign currency liquidity, risk appetite, but to name a few. From that perspective, Distribution has allowed us to positively manage returns, venture into new markets, recycle liquidity, and efficiently use our limited capital. In terms of the overall liquidity profile, there are other regulatory factors that need to be taken into consideration when managing liquidity. LCR and NSFR come to mind where that is concerned. So where we can partner with other institutions on liquidity, we do so as it enables us an opportunity to optimally use our resources, especially taking into consideration the supply and the cost of foreign currency liquidity in Africa. In the face of the trade finance gap that I mentioned before, being able to be bold and flexible is, is such an important way for all of us to come together and help alleviate many of the problems we've been seeing in the market recently. Thank you very much for that answer. Dafa, back to you. How has the kind of current macroeconomic landscape, which including you know, rising interest rates, how has this impacted trade distribution? So what we have seen is we've seen large disruption of supply chain in the last four to five years, starting with COVID, the war in Europe, the current war in the Middle East, current disruption in the Swiss Canal. The impact of this is on elevated commodity prices, elevated energy prices. This has led to inflationary pressure and elevation of inflation rates. In response to this, central banks across the world went on rate hiking. The impact of this is rate increase by banks in providing lending to trade, finance, and other product sets. Although we've seen reversals in some countries, it is not at the level that the world was pre-COVID. Other macroeconomic issues like debt to GDP, debt to revenue became very 
topical issue in the discussion around what is impacting trade. We have seen GDP tank. We have seen 6% in some continent is down by 50% or about 3.8, taking Africa as an example. We've seen elevated currency risk environment where we've seen FX reserves shrinking to about one month import cover. We've seen credit risk rating agencies on the back of these macroeconomic issues, downgrading sovereigns across the globe. We've seen elevated political risk, especially in Africa, where young military officers are overthrowing a democratically elected government. These factors combined together has created big challenge that has led to the increased cost of borrowing, making trade finance very expensive. It has also led to a situation where some lenders have gone into capital preservation mode, and this has decreased the supply of capital to corporates and MSMEs. In the cross-border trade space, there are concerns around the capacity of sovereigns to make repayment in foreign currency. So this has become a big issue that has then reduced the supply of capital and supply of trade finance limits to most markets. Overall, the current macroeconomic environment has reduced the volume of trade, it has reduced the availability of trade limits, and it has also increased and elevated the risk of default in different markets, hence impacting the value and volume of trade that is available and then reducing what can then be distributed to willing investors in the market. Hey, enjoying this podcast? Hit that follow button for more. Done? Let's get back to it. Thanks for that. And I think what we've really learned over the past 18 or 24 months, even more so than we knew before, is how deeply connected international trade and trade finance is to every corner of the world, whether it's economics or politics and again, stretching across all continents. It is, we're reminded of that on a daily basis. But it's mellow. As banks continue to distribute trade finance assets, how will this impact you know, SMEs and their funding gap? And is there space for new players such as you know, private credit and long non-bank liquidity providers? Do they have the space to play in this role? I think SME financing remains a big challenge for banks and um, no one institution can absorb all the associated risks. With a bit of research, according to the Stellenbosch Institute for Advanced Studies, um, Stellenbosch is a university in South Africa. As of 2022, 40% of SMEs on the African continent had difficulty accessing financing. And then if you look at AFRIXIM's 2022 Africa Trade Report, one of the factors that they identified as being responsible for the SME funding gap is a lack of bank acceptable collateral. And this is a factor that DFIs are willing to partner with banks on to resolve. It is through such partnerships that SMEs are then afforded an opportunity to access much needed financing, thus playing a role in reducing the funding gap. Is there space for private credit and non-bank liquidity providers to play? I think it is a matter of education on trade finance risk and packaging the assets in such a manner that is palatable and comparable to other asset classes. With increasing constraints, be it as a result of regulatory frameworks or just risk appetite, distribution becomes even more important as it allows for the weight of risk to be distributed or spread across multiple parties in the market, which then alleviates pressure off of banks' balance sheets, thus creating additional capacity to service our SME clients. I think we should really continue on this collaboration theme. And Dafa, this will want to be over to you. So how can banks like APSA and potentially non-banks and alternate financiers partner together and collaborate in order to reduce the trade finance gap and distribute trade finance assets to benefit more businesses? The question of collaboration and partnership is fundamental whenever 
closing trade finance gap is being discussed. If we start evaluating this concept, the first stop will be the realization that partnership and collaboration is already happening through risk sharing, etc. I would then like us to look at it from a different perspective around the current partnership. What is the level of adequacy and what is the level of depth of that current arrangement in closing the trade finance gap? I would then say that it is important for us and all the investors and participants in the distribution business to leverage on each other's market knowledge and information. Distribution in the debt asset class is better understood in the investors' market. To elevate trade assets, there is a need to socialize and package it in such a manner that it compares well with other asset classes and attracts a wider range of investors beyond DFIs, insurers, financial institutions, and non-bank financial institutions. This is a tax that participants in the trade space need to solve collaboratively. There's direct trade risk sharing on MSMEs and corporate to create a balance. Currently, distribution in trade finance is positively skewed in favor of FI risk. Over the last few years, there has been a deliberate attempt by investors to underwrite direct corporate risk by taking a view based on the strength of these corporate entities. This would bring inclusivity and reduce the financing gap and will create much more room for collaboration among willing investors in the distribution space. Returns and acceptable risk attract capital. There has to be consideration for reasonable skin on risk sharing to make it more attractive to investors. I would like to add, in conclusion, that one of the United Nations SDG goals target zero hunger, which impacts food security, especially in developing countries. Participants within the trade finance space should be encouraged in, in underwriting trades which support food security. These trades to get some capital relief if possible, which would then foster better collaboration within the space. Great. I think there were some really good ideas there about what needs to happen you know, to further trade finance as an asset class. But I think in order to get a, a full round picture, can we talk about what some of the struggles are for uh, facing trade finance distribution, especially from an emerging markets perspective? I'll just focus on three challenges that we have experienced in our activities. One is limited appetite for African corporates, banks, and SMEs. DAPO did allude that there's increasing appetite for financial institutions where distribution is concerned. We continue to struggle with appetite for African corporates and SMEs. This is just a factor of the type of participants that are available in the market, as well as their familiarity with the risk that is being offered. Second to that is the cost of foreign currency liquidity. The high cost of funds tends to erode the value that can actually be derived from distribution, right? Really putting into question the need or the value that can actually be extracted from distribution. Thirdly to that is around the breadth of appetite in terms of products. We do find that there are some institutions that only focus on letters of credit risk, for example, and have limited or zero scope for trade loans related risk, which can then limit our ability to distribute risk in the market. Those are essentially the three that we have truly experienced and that challenge how we approach our strategy to distribution. Get to the end of this podcast here, I'll open this question up to both of you, because I think you both provide such a, a unique and good view from the APSA point of view. How has APSA utilized you know, emerging technologies to make the trade distribution process smoother for everyone involved? In terms of technology, I think what we've seen is that our tech journey is progressing in line with our level of distribution activity in the business and will essentially continue to do so. So what we have done is we've used tech to automate a few of our manual processes and are looking to add on to the work that has already been done. 
So the automation that we have already put in place has actually helped create efficiencies in some of our internal processes. We are also exploring marketplace opportunities. That activity is picking up whether those platforms are concerned and we are envisaging more engagements through such channels. Because we are a growing distribution business, we continue to explore various other options in the market as the business matures. But I think for where we are right now as a business and our level of maturity where distribution is concerned, I think we are progressing really well and we have managed to leverage the various options in the market quite adequately. I think Shumi has captured it very well. I would like just to add that we have also signed off to network of um, businesses just so that we increase our origination capacity and we then are able to support trade finance across our various presence and non-presence markets. We are also using other technologies through our African access system to support trade across the continent. And we have seen more and more traders, more and more corporates and MSMEs signing on to that platform, which gives clarity in terms of what our capacities are, the product that we can assist them with, and it creates efficiency within the space. Well, you all heard it here first. We need to be bold. We need to be flexible. We need to collaborate. We need to learn from each other and learn from our strengths in order to overcome the trade finance gap and help increase financial inclusivity for the trade finance world. I want to thank you both for joining us today on this recording. And I want to thank our listeners, as always, for joining us for yet another episode of Trade Finance Talks. We'll talk soon.